We're going to really take up a, a, an area this morning that hopefully will not be difficult for you to understand. But I'm going to begin by asking you a question which I think would be easy for you to answer. I want you to finish in your mind, don't not out loud, but finish the sentence, Christmas tis the season to blank. Christmas tis the season to. And so some of you may say, well, Christmas tis the season to go shopping for presents. And that's true. Tis the season to uh, drive around the neighborhood and look at all the various Christmas decorations that people have put up. It is tis the season to uh, make out a list of things that you hope somebody will buy you. Tis the season to forget about your diets and eat all the good things that folks normally have during this time of the year, the sweets and all the others. It is the season to play Christmas music, which you normally don't play any other time of the year. It is the season to put up a tree inside your house and decorate it with lights and various other ornaments. Today I want to mention a few things that people do not associate with Christmas. Things that we would never dream Christmas tis the season to think about. Or Christmas tis the season to do, because nobody does this. That I know of, even though it is the season, if I can use that expression. It is the season, if you're a Christian, to mentally pay a visit to the Bethlehem manger and again visualize the birth of the baby to Virgin Mary. And But if I say it also is the season to visit the Garden of Eden, you would say, wait a minute, man, what, what on earth are you talking about? But really, it is the season to do that. And I have never done that myself, so that's why I think we'll cover some new ground. Bethlehem and Eden have a great deal in common. Both were the birthplaces of two very unusual people. The word birth just means that something has begun. It's the place of beginning as the birth of a nation. But Eden brought forth a birth of a man full grown who came neither from man nor woman. But it was a special creation of God out of dust. And God breathed into his nostrils and he became a living, adult, grown person. He had no childhood. He did not start out as a baby. He needed no mother. Unusual beginning, an unusual birth in Eden. No wonder Jesus is compared to him as being the second Adam. He too had a very unusual birth. He was not born in Beth in Eden, but he was born in Bethlehem. And he was brought forth without a father. Adam without father or mother. But Jesus was brought forth without a father, but with the use of a mother. What makes the law unusual about Bethlehem birth is that uh, it was the union of God divine and humanity. Jesus was fully man, as was Adam, but he was also fully God, as Adam was not. So there's a little bit of difference between Adam 1 and Adam 2, or between the birth in Bethlehem and the birth in Eden. At Eden and Bethlehem, God made identical visits to the two people. At Eden, God preached a message to Adam in Bethlehem. God preached the same message, but it was preached this time by the God who made Abraham. It was preached by the baby. And he said, wait a preacher, you mean the day the baby was born, he started preaching? Yeah. Have you ever heard this now? That's a smart kid. 
I mean, when you have a baby born, and that very day that baby can preach you a sermon, that's a smart baby. You say, well, he couldn't even say any goo-goo by, by that time. I'm, I'm going to read to you, and you can do what you want to with the scriptures. All right? I, I find this quite unusual. Now, I want us to go to Psalms 2, because I'm going to wander all over the Bible. We've already gone back to Eden. We're going to wander all over the place this morning. Psalms number 2. We're going to read all the chapter real quickly. And then I'm going to zero in on verse 7. This is what's known as one of the Messianic Psalms. It's a psalm that prophesies the coming of the Messiah, what the Messiah will do, what people will, how people react to the Messiah. Some of this prophetic Messianic has been fulfilled. It was fulfilled when Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Well, that's verse 7. But some of it is yet to be fulfilled. It hasn't even taken place yet. So it is a prophetic utterance that covers a large span of time, some past and some future. The question is asked, why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? Talking about the people on this earth who do not want God to be their God, do not want God to lay down the law, do not want God interfering in their lives. Do their best to get rid of God. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord. Kind of reminds me of America today. There's a conspiracy against God. And against his anointed. Now the anointed would be the Bethlehem child. That's the Messiah. And the nations are saying, let us break their bands asunder. Let's get rid of God. And cast away his law, his restraints from us. How does God react to this? He sits in the heavens and he, he laughs. The audacity of stupid man that really thinks that he can run me off and put me out of business. How stupid man is. He says, the Lord shall have them in derision. And then shall he speak to them in his wrath. This is yet to come now. And he will vex them with his displeasure. Yet to come. We call that the tribulation period. Book of Revelation covers that very well. He says, yet I will set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. That's future. That's Jesus Christ, the king. Verse 7. The king who is going to be set up. The king who is the Messiah, the baby born in the manger, states what is in verse 7. I will declare the decree. I'll get back to this in a minute. I'm just going to run on by it. The Lord has said to me, thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. He says to the son, ask of me and I shall give thee the heathen for thy inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. That's futuristic, yet that's the millennium. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. This is Jesus. And thou shalt dash your enemies in pieces like a potter would break a bowl. He gives the people advice. While there's yet time, you kings, you be wise. Oh, you kings, you better listen. You judges of the earth, you better serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling, and you better kiss the Son. That's the baby Jesus. Lest he be angry and you perish from the way when his wrath is only kindled but a little, and the wrath of the Lamb is talked about in the book of Revelation. Blessed are all they that put their trust in the Messiah. Now that's all of chapter 2. Let's go back to verse 7. He says here, I will declare the decree. 
The one who says that is the one said to have been begotten of God. All of you know John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. And in John chapter 1, verse 14, if you'd like to turn there, keep your fingers here at Psalms and go to John 1.14. It's an expression that we say in John 3.16. We don't think a whole lot about it. And the Word was made flesh. The Word was made flesh. That's Bethlehem. When the God of heaven sent his son, the Messiah, he put him in a fleshly body. God took on human flesh made out of dust. And when the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, that is Bethlehem, and the glory of the only, the only begotten, there's that word again, of the Father full of grace and full of truth. Begotten refers to that miracle whereby somehow the Holy Spirit could unite a divine deity with a human being. How did God do this? It was all done in the virgin birth. I do not know how. Nobody knows how, but it was only done once. And Jesus Christ is the result of God's deity and God humanity, man's humanity put together. And that was when Jesus was begotten by God in heaven. In that respect, Adam and Jesus not alike. Adam was created, but Adam was not begotten. Adam was not divine. Adam was pure 100% man. Pure 100% dirt. <laughs> you do it that way, all right? Only Christ in the Bible is said to be begotten, a union of divinity and humanity. Now back to verse 7. The response of the Son to this announcement that he is going to be sent as the Messiah. I will declare the decree. That's what the King James says. What's the decree? A law. Instead of saying to you, I'm going to lay down the law, I could say, I'm going to lay down to you the decree. This is what you're going to be required of me to do. And who lays down decrees? Well, kings do. And Jesus here is said to be the king. But he's not going to lay down a new decree. He's just going to lay down the same decree that God laid down to Adam at his special creation. In another translation, instead of saying, I will declare the decree, it says, I will preach the law. And this is stated at the moment that he is begotten. The person being begotten says, the baby being born says, the day of his birth says, I am going to preach the law. Now, I know the, the, the story of the birth of Jesus does not say anything about baby talking. <laughs> I'm just telling you here, in verse 7, the very day he says, you are my son, this day you have been begotten, that very day, that son says, I am going to preach the law. Father, that very day. Folks, you and I can't understand having a baby that's born that's God. Now, I wouldn't expect a human baby saying anything the day he was born. Cry maybe, but to preach a sermon? To know all the knowledge that you would need to know to, to preach that sermon? I mean, the day the child is born? Now, if I'm stretching this, you say, I don't understand you. I'm just saying, Jesus says, I will preach the law at the very moment the Father says, you today have been begotten, my son. Well, that was done in the manger in Bethlehem. And as he grows up, he is going to prove to you he will preach the law. 
And what you and I do not, and I never had to, I never associate with Christmas a promise that the little baby Jesus made to the Father that he was going to go around preaching the law. You know? As a general rule, I don't associate the commandments of the Lord with Christmas. Now, if you took me back to Mount Sinai, yeah, that would call to my mind the laws of God. That would make sense. But would you talk about Bethlehem, not Sinai? You talk about Bethlehem, I don't normally think about God's commandments. They don't cross my mind. Normally when I picture the Bethlehem manger, I picture God's love and God's grace and God's mercy and God's kindness. That, that's what comes to my mind as far as the picture of the baby. I sure don't think about decrees. I sure don't think about God reminding us of the laws that he told Adam. I, I have never drawn that connection regarding Christmas. Even at Easter time, I don't think about the commandments of God. I don't guess maybe I should. I'll think about the resurrection at Easter. But I mean, at Christmas, Jesus said, I want the people to hear about the law of God. And it's Jesus himself who makes the association between his birth and his preaching of the law. I, I'm not doing this. Now the question comes to me immediately is, what law? I mean, what law is Jesus going to preach as the baby in the manger? What law? And that was a toughie. <laughs> well, I ask the question sometimes I don't have any answers for. Now I want you to look at another interesting verse, Galatians chapter 4. Verse 4, Galatians 4, 4, talking again about the birth of Jesus. When the fullness of time was come, and that we now look back to as the day he was born, God sent forth his son, makes this a strange woman, statement made of a woman. Now that's, he was begotten, had no earthly father, had a heavenly father. Divine, but yet human. From Mary, he becomes human. From God, he remains divine. And so it was made of a woman. But then it says that he was also made under the law. At the same time he was made of a woman, he was made under the law. Now, Adam was also made under the same law. And even after Adam sinned and all of us became his fallen descendants, it is still said that we are under the law. Look, if you will, at the rest of the verse. Verse 5, so we're going next to verse 5. Let's go back to verse 4. When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, for the purpose of to redeem them that were, now notice that, to redeem them that were under the law. There's that same expression. That we might receive the adoption of sons. Adam was under the law. When Adam fell, he was under the law. When Jesus was made of woman, he was under the law. And it still says here that you and I are under the law. Under what law? Good question. Verse 5 introduces us, though, to a new law. I don't want to get you all mixed up now. But when you talk about redemption here, to redeem us, he's talking now about Calvary, not about Bethlehem and not about Eden. But a new law was made possible by Christ to cancel out part of the law that we are under. I'll explain this to you. One of the messages of Christmas that Jesus wants to preach is, you are under the law. I was under the law. Adam was under the law. That's the first birth announcement 
that Jesus seemingly associates with his coming into this world, you are under the law. Now, there are three things I want you to understand about being under the law. And maybe it would be good for us to remember as we celebrate Christmas, because the world will not remember any of this. This was not the Christmas message most people will hear. They will hear about the new law. <laughs> they won't remember the old one. But the world needs to hear. Jesus came to preach the message to the world. Preach the law. What law? It has three aspects to it. The first law, Christ was born under, and it's the same for all mankind from Adam forward. Same for him. The first law that Christ himself was under is what I call the law of ownership. The law of ownership. Psalms 89.11. Psalms 89.11. This is not anything new to you, but it's something that you and I don't remember very often. And don't act like it's really true. The psalmist says, the heavens are yours. The heavens are yours. And the earth is yours. As the world and the fullness thereof, everything there is about this earth is yours. For you have founded them. You have made them. They are yours. And so I call it the law of ownership. Acts 17 Verse 28, for in him we live, and in him we even move. I could go on and say, in him my mouth today is moving. In him I'm standing here. In him my lungs are breathing in and out. In him. And we have our being, we exist today because of him. The earth belongs to God, all of it. And at Christmas time, this is part of the message when we are so busy buying things that we will then use or enjoy or whatever, we, we get presents that have our names on them and we say, this is yours and this is mine. And we separate the packages and we, you know, we put them and this goes in my drawer and this goes in my garage and this goes in my toolbox. This is my stuff. And, I, and all of us, I would assume after next week, we'll have some more stuff we call our own and jesus says no that's not the message of christmas the message of christmas is that you have nothing remember man you have nothing that is yours not one thing even the air you breathe is not yours the heart is kept beating it's not you that keeps it beating it's me i'm determining all of these factors about you God says, I want you to remember at Christmas time, my son is going to preach the message of ownership. I own everything, and you own nothing. And I make determinations about everything. You make determinations about nothing. I'll say when it rains, and I'll say when it doesn't rain. I'll say if crops grow, and I'll say if crops don't. I will determine everything. Man at Christmas doesn't quite get this message. Whatever you and I produce, whatever you and I enjoy, it comes from elements, and it comes from materials that belong to him. When all of us are gone, it still belongs to him. It's always on loan to us. Jesus recognized this truth himself. In John 5.30, John 5.30, he makes a statement that you and I probably wouldn't make, but he understood this law. John 5.30, he says, now listen, this, this is Jesus talking as God the Son of man. He speaks this from a man's viewpoint. And he says, I can of my own self do nothing. 
Not a one of us would say today, well, there's nothing. What do you mean you can't do anything? Without God, you couldn't lift your eyelid. Without God, you couldn't lift your finger. Without God, you couldn't add one and one. Without God, you can do nothing. And Jesus says in verse 30, I can of myself do nothing. Can you feature coming to Christmas and saying, we're, 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 I'm so busy doing everything. You can do nothing that he does not allow or enable you to do. You can't do nothing. That really puts us in a helpless, we don't like it, but I, he's saying this is it. This is part of the Christmas message that I think the son, because a lot of folks just shut God out at Christmas and feel like, well, I don't, you know, I don't need him. I can carry on my life without him. I won't give him a time of day. I won't give him a thought during the Christmas season. But the day's on loan, folks. It's just on loan. You don't own it. You don't make it. And you can't change it. It's on loan. Everything's on loan. The second law that Christ was born under, and that was true of him. He said, I can't do anything. He understood that as a man. Second law, the same for all mankind, is the law of life. Is the law of life. Eden was loaned to Adam and Eve. I say loan because when they sinned, God kicked them out. <laughs> you don't kick somebody out of what they own and they know it. He put them out of the garden. And as soon as he created man, he said to man, not only do I own everything, I own everything mine, but uh, on my earth, which I made, which belongs to me, things are going to be done the way I want them done. I am going to lay down the law as to how you are to live your life on my earth. Nothing wrong with that, is it? Most of you fathers lay down the law as how you're going to have people live in your home. What's wrong with that? It's your home, you say. And so the second law that Adam was faced with, and Jesus was faced with the same law, on my earth will do things my way. Every law that God laid down pertaining to life and what law would that not be everything pertains to life how you treat your neighbor how you treat god how you treat your wives your husband your children how you think how you act how you live all these are laws about life as you live you're governed by these commandments of god and when jesus was born and as he grew up he had to face every one of these commandments he was under the law he couldn't lust after woman either he couldn't steal either he couldn't lie either. He, every law that God gave for living on his earth, Jesus had to keep. He had no exceptions. He said, well, I'm the son of God. You know, I don't have to keep these laws. Yes, he did. He was bound by every law that God laid down for living on his earth. Adam flunked the test. He, he didn't keep the laws of God. But John 5.30, where you are right now. Notice what Jesus said about living on God's earth as a man. He says, I do not seek to do my own will, but all I ever try to do is the will of my Father which sent me. Now that's the second thing about the Christmas message is that I'm supposed to live a life as determined by the God who owns that life. And Jesus said, I've come to preach the law. I was born to preach the law. And he says, right here, I myself am doing everything I know to please the Father and do his will. He had one advantage over you and me. He always knew the will of his Father. Why? Because he was divine. God knows what God wants. 
I'm limited here. I only know what I can find out from the Word of God and from inspiration and from the Holy Spirit and from my conscience as to what I feel like God might want for me. But at Christmas time, most of our thoughts do not turn to carrying out the laws of God for my life. Just don't think about that. Jesus kept his mind focused on the will of his Father. If there's any message about Christmas, folks, keep your mind focused on the will of the owner of your life. That's important because that brings up the third law. And that is that, and Jesus was under the same law, that if you do not, if you do not obey the laws of life laid down by the owner of the earth, then you will suffer the consequence of death. Three-step law. I own it. I rule it. You behave or you suffer. Simple formula. But we don't tell anybody that during Christmas. And then quickly, though, Jesus obeyed the Father completely and never did do anything against his will. So he never had to really face the issue of death. But he then came along, and God said through his Son he would offer man a fourth law. We've looked at three of them. God owns. God lays down the rules of life. If you don't obey, you die. And then God said, I think I'll write one more law. One more law. And the law will be anyone who accepts Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, I will cancel out law number three. He will not have to die for disobeying me in the laws of life. Jesus Christ not being a sinner, and this part you know, not being a sinner, died in the sinner's place, took his punishment, took his death, came back from the grave and says, I'll give you life. We can cancel out that third aspect of being under the law, but to do so, I'm going to put you under another law. There is a law that the baby Jesus brought forth. And what is it? I will become your owner, and you will do the will of my Father if I am to save you and make you a child of his. Folks, we're right back where we started. He makes us into a real sense, Adam all over again, and the son comes to his convert, to the ones he redeems, let me tell you the law. The law is that God owns you, and the law is that there is a rule for your life, there are laws for you to obey, and that's the responsibility that the fourth law puts on you if you accept it. Father, we're thankful today for Jesus Christ. And again, the emphasis that he places at the Christmas season upon the ownership of all things by God, upon the laws that God has for living on what he owns, and for the consequences of disobeying God and not letting him use what is his. Help us today if we have been part of that group that has been given new life through Christ to realize that today he still owns it all, and today the rules still stand. And he expects us now, though we're deemed, to obey those rules. And though we can be forgiven and can be pardoned, still is true. He owns and the rules are still there. Father, again, give us this day the opportunity and the privilege and the desire to do exactly what Jesus did when he came in the manger. May this be the message that we preach too. In Jesus' name, amen.